Hey guys, welcome to Industry 4.0. I am back from my time off. I missed last week. We got a great episode today. Just to, just to start off the first topics, um, we have a few articles. One is just a Verizon throttling Netflix. We have a hacker from Budapest who was arrested uh, for reporting a hack responsibly. And we also have reports of Amazon jacking up their Prime Day prices, misleading consumers for sales. Um, that being said, I'm joined by everybody but Irvin today. I've got uh, Ryan, Jeff, and Kyle with me today. Um, it's, if we wanted, we could just jump straight into the topic. Um, but I wanted to point out to the audience that today is national give it your all day. So we're all going to have to go 115% today and give it everything we've got to deliver a good episode to our audience. Ready to go. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> so just to jump right into the first topic, um, we have Verizon kind of admitting that they were running some optimizations on their video streaming service. And by optimizations, from the way it looked, it appeared that they were just optimizing, quote unquote, Netflix. And um, users have been reporting, and this mostly started on Reddit and then kind of escalated to all the various tech sources as people realized it was a legitimate issue that um, Verizon was throttling Netflix users down to 10 megabits per second, which is not it's not awful, but it's definitely noticeable to people who are running on much higher internet speeds, such as people on the 150 plan or even anybody on the gigabit plan. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, they haven't even rolled back the Title II thing, and you have these ISPs that are kind of already testing the waters in, in a world without net neutrality. Anybody want to jump into that topic? Well, let, let me just start off by saying, like, I, when we look at the article that we're, that we're referencing on The Verge, I mean, one of the first things I noticed was they made a, a statement and finally admitted to, uh, to their faults or whatever, however they want to reference it. But they said in a direct quote from a Verizon Wireless spokesperson, the testing should be completed shortly. So they were just testing uh, uh, optimization for their video stream. They said the testing should be complete, completed shortly. The customer video experience was not affected, not should not be or will not be going forward, was not affected. Well, then how did people notice? How did this become a story? How did this even come to fruition? I mean, you want to defend yourself and then come and lie to everyone's face at the same time. It's not a good start to what is going to be, like we've discussed in the past, a very long battle with these small variations and small takes on what eventually will lead to the, the battle uh for net neutrality and it's 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 not a good look for one of the biggest companies who we believe will be at the forefront of this in the long term definitely and um they went in so far to mention that since 1080p video is hd quality it looks great at 10 megabits per second and that to me not only says that they actually did this but that confirms to me that they were um they were actually that the, that the people who were saying that they were being limited to 10 megabits per second, it actually was the case. And um, one of the big problems that people were reporting was if they, anybody using a VPN service, if they connected to that VPN, um, since then at that point, the video traffic was encrypted. Nobody, they couldn't monitor what video service you were using, whether it was YouTube, um, Netflix, Hulu, whatever. And it wasn't capped and they were getting much faster speeds on a VPN. So 
no matter which way Verizon wants to spin this, they were at some point slowing it down. And Title II is the law of the land still. It's not it's 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 an unlawful thing to do. So I mean I think I go ahead, what were you gonna say? These, I mean these tests were conducted using Netflix own speed test tools as well as Ookla's, which is the more popular, at least mm -hmm. to my knowledge. Um it's odd to me really to think about the fact that this was tested in production because I feel like they have a lot of uh, space to do so in a back-end environment where you wouldn't even have users recognizing it's happening. I feel like this has to be being done for some kind of important reason, right? Because we've been talking about net neutrality. We know this is something that could be happening in the near future where you are seeing throttled speeds according to sites based mm -hmm. on, you know, what internet service providers want to provide. Um, I am just kind of taken aback by the fact that you're seeing this out in the open world with actual customers when nothing is in place currently. Yeah. It would be one thing if the policies actually were in place, and this was a causality of or an effect of the um, the policies that were being rolled out by the elimination of Title II. But the fact that they're doing it before shows that um, it's it, it could just be the tip of the iceberg. And it's really a good thing that Netflix decided to actually stand and fight against net neutrality because it seems that they're being immediately targeted first anyway. So, and they're saying, sure, that their 1080p services look fine at 10 megabits per second. And while that may be true, uh, last time I checked, I think Netflix has been experimenting with 4K and HDR as well. And that you will notice that on 10 megabit. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with this and um, if there's any legal backlash. And to put on that, it's not like 4K is some experimental technology. It's 100% the future of where we're going with televisions. It's not like... Uh, the 3D televisions were where we're like, ah, 4K is going to phase out. No, it's just how sharp your image looks, how quick the image gets to your television, to your eyes. Like it's, it, it's, it's almost like they're testing for future proofing. Like, hey, when we go through this battle and eventually win, and Title Two gets a rate, like it's, it's, hey, how, what can we do? Can we get prepared for this? Hey, tiered speeds, tiered pricing thing. It's almost like. Maybe we're looking too much into it, but that's what it shows, especially when this is such a popular topic uh, countrywide right now. That could have been what they were testing. I don't think you're exactly. looking into it too much at all. I think that's exactly what it is. My confusion is why test that out in production? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, Verizon but, also uh, got away with testing their super cookie before they um, before this whole Title II enrollment happened where they embedded a cookie that tracked all of your web traffic and was sold to advertisers and just was used to to get hooks into websites that they didn't have access to, like Google services and Facebook and stuff like that. So Verizon's, they've done this before. Yeah. So it's... It, Verizon Wireless, uh, right. to be clear too, just to refer right. to the article. But. Exactly, just to be more specific, it's Verizon Wireless, not the actual Verizon ISP. It's not direct cable, it's all wireless. And they've, as we talked about in earlier episodes, they've already been noted to introduce forms of net neutrality on their own via the wireless network because it's more of a gray area. Yeah, They don't have as much competition via landlines. Um, not well, the competitors aren't as big and they own most of the LTE networks. Other yeah. other vendors just rent from theirs. Um, 
but yeah, like you said, the 10 megabits per second, I, I do a lot of uh, 4K video uh, compression right now on the HEVC.265 compression. Mm -hmm. uh, it ranges between 7 and 10 megabits per second. So 10 is the max for 4K uh, compressed video. So they brought it right down to the tip, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and if they're capping it at that, then any kind of slowdowns only lowers that from there. It doesn't lower it from a higher speed. So, yeah, I, it, it's right. worrying. It's worrisome, and I don't, I don't like yeah, it. Sure. I mean, With that knowledge in hand, it almost sounds like they uh, they didn't think that slowdowns were going to affect it. Ultimately, like you said, with 10K being the highest, it almost sounds like they right. were like, exactly. oh, let's bring it down to 10K because it won't affect anything. We can get away with this test uh, under the in radar. Prior. And then, of course, right. exactly like you said it, but we'll do it live instead of in front. And like it's – or in test, we'll do it in front instead of test. And then all of a sudden, it's just – Again, people realize these things. You have to realize that anybody, any company like this that's that's public, that's in the open, there are people out there who know just as much as you do about what you're doing and tax and speed and all the things. Like it's, it, it was, it was clearly a bad move in the long term battle. It should be made clear too that Netflix has said that they knew nothing of this. It wasn't on there, and this was completely on Verizon Wireless. This and, um, and I think you're right. I think it is. I don't want to use the word. I'll say silly. Um, it's silly to do this when you know there's tools like what Ookla and even Netflix themselves are offering out there to monitor this specific thing. Um, I understand from a business perspective, you know, if you set a lower limit, you don't have that large threshold and maybe that reduces overhead on the business side. But when it comes to customer relations, public appearance, it's very important how you're presenting yourself. And this just seems like a big mistake to me, the way mm -hmm. everything has transpired. And I think Verizon even came out when, during that internet day of action and they were like, we stand for a fair and open internet <laughs> of competition. And like they had this like I can't really even take ridiculous- that seriously. I can't even take yeah. that seriously. No. They're like, we are for it, although we still don't want it, but we'll uphold it when it's gone anyway. We just want it gone off the paper. It's, I don't know. It's Verizon. They're, no, you don't. Verizon Wireless. That's my they're all just, that is yeah. a typical PR move. I mean, yeah. it's the traditional, it we are for whatever you want until it affects what we want. We're a hip company. We know what buzzwords are. <laughs> Net neutrality <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Internet. What um, do you guys want? We want it too. <laughs> um, we can throw a fee on top of for it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, with that being said, um, if uh, if you guys had anything else you wanted to bring up about net neutrality, um, I was going to segue into the next topic. Albeit very ready for, ready for that. Yeah, I've been I've been looking forward to talking about this one for a while, just because it it's it, it brings up something that is important to me as a software developer and something that I think that um, should be allowed in the development community. Mm -hmm. uh, the article is an article from QZ, um, and it's in scattered articles uh, across the web. A teenager told the Budapest Transport Authority, uh, he did a little bit of testing on their website when they released this new um, ticketing system for their public transportation, and he found out um, there was a major... I, I don't even know if you can call it a hack. He just used Chrome developer tools. Um, <laughs> and he reported it to the Budapest Transport Authority, and they called him a hacker and had him arrested 
instead of um, saying, oh, awesome, thanks for uh, privately reporting this to us. Thanks for um, helping us with this bug. Thanks for just kind of double checking our system. Here's like a quick reward or like even you want a job on our security team just doing penetration testing on our stuff just to make sure we have secure services. And uh, to summarize it, if anybody hasn't fully read the article, this this kid uh, decided he was going to just mess around with the Chrome developer tools. And he logged onto the site and he hit F12 when he went to go check out a ticket. And he modified the cost of the ticket. And he took a ticket that normally costs 50 US dollars and he modified it on the web page to about 20 cents. And in checkout, the website took that and was like, oh, it's a 20 cent ticket. Oh, cool. And then charged him 20 cents and it was a valid ticket. So he was able to set the price to whatever he wanted. <laughs> it's crazy. It's the way to do that at the yeah. Best Buy site. Yeah. <laughs> just, just I mean, quickly to reflect, I don't know if I'd say it was private if Twitter was involved, but. Well, that's the thing. He he got arrested and then it went public because they were like, oh my God, this this kid was this kid was a hacker and we were our software is under threat and it's it's really stable stuff and a bunch of people on Twitter saw that happen. I guess he might have tweeted it or something or they must have tweeted about it and he and people were like, okay, well, if this site's got poor enough validation on their on their pricing engine to let you modify the cost of your ticket what else is sitting under the hood of this website it's really ridiculous actually, <laughs> <think about it. laughs> and going through the twitter feed of this one twitter user uh to shout him out at vista underscore df he was like uh, i would like to uh, congratulate the dev ticket controllers <laughs> of budapest on the rollout of their new e-ticket system and the captcha it's just this like it looks like a table, a one row table, and it says, please enter the black characters. And when you look at the programming behind it, um, someone found out that it was very easy to programmatically circumvent their capture. They didn't even use the Google default one, which is just they provide a snippet and you embed it in your site and it's done. Right. They like built their own, yeah. assuming it would work. And among other things, um, if you forgot your password on the website, they email it to you. <laughs> they send it to you in email. Well, You're in the 90s, everybody. <laughs> What's that? What would you say, Kyle? Not a temporary. Your current password. That's fine. Yeah, they, which means that they store your password on their web server in clear text. They don't hash it. They don't encrypt it. They don't do anything. Well, and then there was other ones where he realized that if any of that wasn't bad enough, he could modify the URL of his profile page to another user on the website. And he was logged in as that user all of a sudden. Nice. <laughs> oh yeah. That is absolutely crazy. But my favorite tweet from him uh, from another guy, um, Gage underscore, he was like, also, he's like, don't worry, guys, their registration form is ultra secure because they've disabled pasting in their email and password fields. Hang on, though. Did, <laughs> don't worry. Did, did you hear that their administrator password for the website was admin admin? Yeah. <laughs> that so, is ridiculous. So shortly after this All barrage on Twitter, okay. the website was like, we're under attack. There's hackers coming from everywhere. And they're like panicking <laughs> and they're like threatening to prosecute people. And 
Oh my god, this is um, this is what you get when you don't support ethical and responsible bug reporting. <laughs> you Let get... me guess. No, that's not bug reporting. That is. What's just... your guess? Their Absolutely. slogan is Budapest Transit Authority. <laughs> Quality you can trust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very Works if you can stick to the script. <laughs> it's oh, absurd man. to try and pass this as anything but just like inexperience and naivety and just a failure in every facet of technology. Mm hmm. There's websites like this all over the web, and um, and it's there's websites that don't store your uh, they'll store your password in clear text, or they won't have very good validation. Or in the case of this website, they'll just send you your password if you forgot it, um, or not change their admin password. And um, it could always kind of weirded me out whenever like we were talking about this before the show. Um, about sites that have specific character limits on their login pages. Yeah. Um, like it'll tell you you can have no longer than eight eight characters with symbols and numbers or whatever. Um, and the fact that they do that kind of leads me to believe that the way they store the password is not secure because you can have, um, you can tell people to log in with whatever type of secure password they want, but if you're storing it in clear text, it's not safe any of your benefits you have aren't going to work. So um, the a typical way a website would handle this would be through hashing your password, which is not actually storing the password, but converting any length password into this fixed length alphanumeric sequence of just nonsense to anybody who was looking at it that's impossible to generate unless you have that exact password entered. Right. And just when you log in after that, it'll store the hash. And it just compares uh, every time you log in, it'll just rerun that hash and compare the output to what's stored on the site. And if it is, it's you and it logs you in. But um, the point of hashing is it goes from a variable length string to a fixed length. So the fact that people are restricting your password size, like that, that, that shouldn't matter if you're hashing a password to be stored on a website. So like it kind of behooves me to kind of the question the way that they're approaching storing passwords. So that's just, and that's a completely different thing. That's only one of the issues this site had. <laughs> they all stem into each other. They really do. And, and again, all these issues, but, uh, but he broke the law and he's hacking. So, yeah. right. And it was, it was a rush job. That's exactly what it was. It was a rush job. And, Mm-hmm. And a kid who let them know that the thing was flawed, who could have easily just exploited it amongst him himself and his friends and amongst the internet community, he he, he pays a price for it. It's just it's a real yeah. gray area in technology because if a storefront has their door unlocked and they have no alarm set and you go in and you're like, hey, your cash register was available last night, you're probably gonna get the cops called on you. But if you do it online, it's a little different, but similar at the same time. Is it right. right? There's there's no standard for reporting and responsible reporting of bugs and of exploits on web pages. But would, so, you, would you rather have someone that is not this individual reporting the issue come into your store every night and take money at your cash register? Or would you have this person come in and tell you and then fix your right. lock? 
Yeah, because yeah, if you could have used, like stayed anonymous, like that's no problem. Oh yeah, especially mm-hmm. level security this late. I mean, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> another aspect of technology too. Is you want to blow up Twitter and say I'm the one who found this, but. Right. That being said, anyone out there who uh, who finds this same hack for any future sporting events or uh, or wrestling events, please let me know before you tell authorities. Yeah. <laughs> and the lone ranger. Jokes, jokes, jokes. Yeah. <laughs> but like that's the thing that I, I I felt was important about this article in particular was the fact that um, there should be a standardized way to safely and responsibly report bugs instead of leaving it up to the company to decide whether they want to prosecute you or not because. I don't think he was breaking any laws. He didn't use the ticket. He didn't. Um, he didn't uh, repeatedly perform the exploit for friends like you guys were. The guys were joking about like he didn't do any of this. He found it out, and he sent them the steps that he took to replicate the issue, and um, sent them the confirmation that he had indeed purchased a ticket at twenty cents. So, and right. th- they took that as a threat on their system and, and had him arrested, which is. Ridiculous. What would they even charge him with? I mean, was he in violation of some kind of terms of service? Because I don't see that here in the article, but that's the only thing I could I would think they could actually. Hacking. That's yeah. that's an actual charge in Budapest. I yeah, mean, apparently it's... it was it was enforced by the Budapest law enforcement, not not like them saying, "Hey, this is hacking. What are you going to do about it?" It was more like <laughs> they alerted the authorities, and they were like, "Hey, this is hacking. I think so. You're arrested." I'm pretty sure, yes. and I'm not 100 percent on this. Uh, I wouldn't know, but I'm pretty sure if you access the server you don't or you're not permitted to access in america uh for example Mm. that it is an active crime to yeah even try and even so it's like you guys were talking about the the comparison you use with company property it's breaching their property they own that so um technically they can say that you hacked their system whether you were using Chrome developer tools or you actually ended up hacking the system, um, if you break in and have an exploit, they can take it a couple of ways. And a lot of companies are starting to do like bug bounties and stuff like that where they'll reward you for finding exploits and you give them a window to fix it and then you make it public. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, this was fixed. Um, But then I think it brings a more important conversation to the table on websites and companies should there should be a standard for this because um i don't i'm not sure how familiar you guys are with the terminology but it's also relevant because the black hat or devcon is um that convention in vegas is right around the corner and there's a very wide gray area between white hat hacking and black hat hacking so white hat is responsible and ethical and doing it to find exploits and report them before they are actually used as exploits and black hat is more the more traditional sense of the word hacking so um i think there should be some kind of way to reward people for going out of their way to kind of test systems and if they stumble across a mistake they should be allowed to report it they shouldn't be accused of hacking yeah this seems more like it's more like a stumble upon case Mm mm-hmm Especially since security. <laughs> yeah, especially since something else I didn't talk about. These tickets can be reused. <laughs> There's no validation yes. on them. Yeah, it, it was like a month long ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yes, uh, and yeah, but not only that, but it didn't validate the amount of times it was used and by who and who used it. So one person made it made a ticket, copied it to ten other users, and it was valid across all ten of the users, all ten copies. 
Wow. Okay. That's. <laughs> yeah. so I only have one question, and it's it's more of a general question because I don't think any of us truly know the answer because we haven't uh, experienced this specific site in uh, on our own. But I think based on just what we know about different sites and technology and all, um, would it have been a different case? Do you think if um, instead of buying the ticket and then reporting, he got to the confirmation screen before he hit that last accept and continue where it said, hey, you're being charged 20 cents for this $30 ticket. Then mm-hmm. took a screenshot and sent it to them like, hey, listen, you're about to charge me 20 cents for this. Do you think it would have made a difference or do you think he, you need that confirmation before passing that information along, whether whether you be a general enthusiast or someone who finds it by accident or white hat, black hat, what have you? It's a good point mm-hmm. because it, it shows him exploiting the flaw, but... Yeah. I think I think okay. their biggest snafu is with the fact that he even called him out on it personally. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Yeah, but to answer your question, Kyle, I think that having the valid ticket was the test evidence required to say that okay, this is an actual problem. Because right, there was no thing. final edit check at the at the checkout that prevented it, which is probably what he was looking for. <laughs> Just and yeah, but Kyle, Kyle's asking, is it is it the issue that the guy got to the point where he got the ticket or that he pointed out the flaw that's getting him in yeah. trouble? That's so, what I was saying. And I think that um, in order to responsibly report it, he needs to perform the exploit. And even so, he he still paid them, albeit it was 20 cents, but he he gave them money and reported the issue. So the proof, I think the if he came to them, like if you... I think if anybody had gone on to, like if this happened on Amazon and you were able to check out a, a smart 4K TV for $4 and you gave Amazon the confirmation order and the proof of shipping to, to show you that it went through the whole cycle with $4 as the cost and you got a TV, then I think they would be like, okay, there's a problem in the system. Like this is the proof we need. Like it's one thing to be on the checkout screen, but it's another thing when your card gets hit with the cost. Such a weird thing in general because... If you can do it and it's right there in front of you, are you at fault? Mm-hmm. Like you have to put back measures in place to prevent that kind of thing. In my mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's why responsible reporting should be a thing because if you don't let people report this responsibly, whether like you said, they stumble across it accidentally or they go out of their way to deliberately exploit this system, it, it kind of leads it kind of forces people to go more towards the latter side because they're like oh why am i going to report this and get arrested if i can just exploit it and pretend it never happened like yep why would i bother and you the know? uh it, uh, i think a lot of it had to do like we were just talking on the public perception of it like you know once he got once they felt like they were being called out publicly across multiple streams of media that's when they did something about it because if you look further in the article um according to the facebook post that the the 18 year old originally said he originally said that they um that the the transit authority just responded to his email saying that oh thanks for bringing this to a to our attention your 20 cent ticket has been invalidated that was it and then a few hours later is when they decided to to make moves because he also reached out to me at the same time as them not just them so when they felt embarrassed that's when they said oh we're going after this guy which is really just he really reported it to you and to the media so that people were aware of it. He didn't do it to personally attack you. He found a flaw, let you know, also letting media know. And when you felt, oh, this is out of our control now, we're no longer controlling the story. We're no longer controlling the narrative. That's when they decided to do something about it. And it's 
it is it it's i guess ethically it's it might not be the best move but i, I don't know what else to say on it other than like they felt personally attacked and went, oh, we're going after this 18-year-old who helped us out a lot. I don't know the outcome of the situation either, but maybe they, you know, um, took action against the individual and as a result, no one else took the same action. And maybe that guy's going to mm-hmm. get off the hook, you know, but you have to make an example of him because if he does it, if someone else does, you're going to get locked up too. Yeah, and the article towards the bottom says that he was released from custody a few hours after he was arrested. There it is. And he was able to to share a screenshot. And then uh, further down, it says that um, since his arrest was first reported, the the site has received more than 40,000 or 47,000 one-star reviews on their their Facebook page. (laughs) I saw that it was one out of five stars, yeah. Yeah, so it slammed their Facebook page with one-star reviews. Which everybody loves, right? A twenty percent mm-hmm. approval rating, except for us, like we love five star familiar. <laughs> oh man! But <laughs> Kyle, I... <laughs> no, there's there's always room for plugging. <laughs> um, I am the most shameless of shameless pluggers. That's fine. The cost is never but, uh, too high. So, I just wanted to kind of put that out there and just kind of bring. To get a discussion started on the ethical hacking debate because it, it's important to me because I think that if people discover a problem, they should be able to report it. And it's something that doesn't make sense to just kind of leave up to people to, oh, yeah, I'm going to report it and then get arrested or I'm just going to exploit it and, and not do a thing about it. So I just thought it was important to bring up. But um, speaking of which, we have another fun topic for this first half um the article about amazon jacking up the prices for prime day mm-hmm. and i heard a lot of people complain about prime day because it's usually not a lot of actually good deals and that's probably because people were seeing stuff like this <laughs> <laughs> they were they were doing what um like companies like walmart and other retailers were accused of um, way back when where they announce a big sale, but it's actually just a reduction of a recent markup of the price goods back to the normal retail price. So um, a couple of products were started off at uh, $9.99 for Amazon on Prime Day. Um, they bumped the price up and then brought it back down to that nine ninety nine to like give you the impression that you were getting a deal when actually it was just an inflated markup done just before Prime Day, and that's scummy. I think that's so bad. And that, like you said, that is a traditional retail practice. So having worked in retail for nine years, and even though I've mentioned the name of the retailer that I've worked for in the past, when we're talking about a scummy move, I won't mention their name. Okay. Uh, but. <laughs> um, we had several items that would be on sale uh, for an extended period of time just because it had been out or accessible for a long time, not as rare of an item, not as hard to find. And then we would have a big sale, and all of a sudden those same items would all of a sudden not be, say, $40, but uh, the price sticker would say, was 60 now 40 for this week. It's like, well, it's also been 40 on sale for two months. It came out three, four months ago. All of a sudden it's it's a reduced price, even though it's been that price for a long time. So it's, uh, or it would show as clearance, but it was like two cents less than it was the week before. It's like, Oh, well it's, 
just because you ended it in 97 instead of 99 cents doesn't mean that it's a clearance item. You really just charge us the same and made and made a pretty sticker yeah. instead. Right. Like it's it's like you said, it's a traditional practice for retail, and it's when you see it going to people that you hope to trust. And we've talked so many times about how many positive things Amazon has done. It it's frustrating to see that that they would follow in that same footsteps. Right, and they they do have a right to set the price as they want. It's their right as a retailer. Um, but that being said, I don't think it gives them explicit permission to do it unbeknownst to the consumer, because I think that's kind of ruining the trust that they have with their consumer. Um, Not just but consumer. that being, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, that being said, there is a useful Chrome extension that I wanted to bring to the attention of our listeners for next prime day. Um, it's called the caramelizer or the camelizer. Um, and I'll have that in the show notes for anybody who's looking to get that. And it's a Chrome extension that whenever you're on an Amazon page for a product, you can click on the icon on the top of your Chrome bar. Excuse me. I think this is also a Firefox extension as well. And I think there might be an edge one on the way, but um, it will find, it'll look at that Amazon product and map its price out over the lifetime of it being on Amazon. So you can decide if it's actually a deal or if it's just an inflated markup for the sale, which is an incredibly useful tool. Definitely. And it, I think it would, it even helps people, even not in events like Prime Day, just so you know if you actually are getting a deal or if this is the lowest it's ever been. And you can be like, oh, like this microphone that I want, um, it's been $70 before. Um, I can only assume that they did it around the holidays, according to Camelizer. So I can imagine that next year they'll do it again. So if you just wait, you can pick it up cheap yeah. at that time. So that was the the primary takeaway that I wanted uh, to just discuss with that one, primarily just because it's a useful tool for people who may not be aware of it. And it's something that makes Amazon a little bit more kind of bearable and it lets you know if you're getting screwed over or not. You know, Matt, that is something I was not aware of. And I was actually going to mention that I would love to see some sort of chart showing me the fluctuation in price. And I appreciate that. I'm definitely going to use that in the future. Yeah, I used it for a little bit and it's it's really nice and it's very easy to use, which is two things that everybody who's downloading a Chrome extension for this wants to hear. So, and it's nice to see it like graphed out too. So you can like actually visually see the price go up and down. Agreed. Um, do you want to comment any more on this article in specific? Yeah, just real quickly. I mean, something real small, but again, like uh, that tool kind of covered what I was going to talk about anyway. It's it's really nice to have, but uh, the the main part of the article that the the gentleman who was running these uh, foot products or what have you who who saw the, the jump up in the price he mentions that uh the amazon spokesperson actually says like we don't participate in uh surge pricing but he said he went back and researched because they came to an agreed upon price now granted he also said that during uh, negotiations the vendor themselves has no effect on the price whatsoever they come to an agreement but then amazon can just say this is the amount you're going to get from every sale this is the amount we're going to get from every sale um, or I'm sorry, percentage-wise from every sale, but we are going to determine what the price is regardless at any time. And you don't have a say in that, which I didn't know, which is uh, good knowledge, I think, for anyone who's going into business 
uh, and potentially selling things on Amazon. Um, he said that because of the prime, the, the incident on Prime Day, he decided to go back through the pricing history of his items. And he said that right when his products became very popular, uh, he noticed that as soon as his product was getting clicks, it went from the $9.99 price point to $14.99. And again, he had no say, no input, no notice on any of that. He's like, I didn't notice at the time just because I was trying to keep up with orders and sales and, and whatnot. It's, so they, it's not the first time they've done something like this just on a big day like that. It's your hope that you're getting the honest price and the honest sale. And it's, it, it was a big deal. I mean, we spoke uh, amongst ourselves and amongst friends in the office and things like that about how big of a day this was and how sometimes it's been it's been questionable sales in the past and this year was a good year. And all of a sudden we look at uh, below the surface a little bit and we may have all been fooled into the thinking it was a big day. So it's just a, a company that we want to trust and we have trusted so much in the past, just throwing a little bit of dishonesty out there m makes you worried. It's not I mean, just, it's not just to the consumer either. That's the weird thing. I mean, the prices you're cited are accurate, but it says that they put it out for nine ninety nine. final on the final day. The price was 1844. And then um, they put in a bunch of complaints. I don't know if this is directly related to what happened or not, but the suggested retail price came back down to nine ninety nine the following day, according to this individual. That it makes me wonder what's happening to people who don't pay attention. Well, now they can pay attention with the camelizer. <laughs> yeah. I sound like again. a spokesperson for the <laughs> yeah. extension. But um, I definitely plan on using that app. And from from the past Prime days, they always seem like clearance sales to me. I mean, I, I follow Amazon a lot, and a lot of they they do the markup on almost every product there is. I mean, <laughs> like you mm -hmm. said, it's traditional retail. It's kind of a ploy. Um, yeah. On this past like the uh, like this past uh, Prime Day, I used Slick Deals a lot just to monitor for the actual deals and just see what people uncovered. Most of it was clearance stuff, but there were some good ones on there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, you can't go by the retail price at all. To me, right. it's just like, don't even look at it. <laughs> for the, the past price, I mean. Yeah, and you guys were talking about the trust, and especially when Jeff Bezos was saying that the goal of Amazon was to be a part of every economic transaction on the planet like not just an economic not just like selling books like he started off doing or whatever but um he wants to be a part of every financial transaction that happens in terms of retail ever which is it's a it's a bit of a tall order but it would be nice to see that they're being the good guy while they approach that i hope so, so. and it, it just uh I, I know it's a little much to to or keep compounding on this same idea but uh, imagine you know you're a you're a small company like the the guy featured in the article you're a small small company selling something that you think is gonna make you significant money even selling at 9.99 and all of a sudden because some guy on reddit goes this is the best foot product i've seen you need to buy this thing at ten dollars we know how Reddit can get things started. All of a sudden, people are clicking on it like crazy, and Amazon goes, oh, people want this? Let's jump it to 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Let's jump to 15 Let's jump to 20 bucks. And all of a sudden, sales go from here to boom. They plummet immediately. What does that do to a small business owner who might live month to month? Right. Might live month to month with that product. I mean, that's when you are working with big businesses, if you want to change the price, that's fine. If you're selling uh, jeans 
if you're selling Levi's on Amazon, okay, I'm going to fluctuate a little bit. That's fine. I'm 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 more focused on the day to day because that's where clothing sells. But or day to day brick and mortar, that's where clothing sells at. But like a guy like this, who's really only major market is Amazon, who's really just selling out of his garage or out of the, that's where you really run into problems. Where if you're ju- okay, I may have had a week's worth of bump in sales. Mm-hmm. But those next three weeks, my sales plummeted and my average sales for the month have now gone down. What does that really mean for that business? And that's where you get into right. like, again, we're talking about trust from the small person, the the individual or the, the smaller retailer or producer can be affected long term by that uh, that that customer based pricing. If you don't want to call it surge pricing, that customer or in demand pricing is where that can really start to affect the smaller people. Oh, 100 percent agree with that my question is when i do the surge pricing where does that that increase in price go is it still percentage based where amazon gets a cut and the retailer gets a cut does that increase go right to amazon um i would assume it's the same it's just scales i would think so as well but either way if you're seeing a decrease in the volume of products sold you're not going to profit as much as you would if you kept it at the price you want and that's amazon exploiting the popularity of a product just like kyle's true but so so part of part of the thing that i did a little bit more research on this just because i have a specific interest in in retail and online retail just because it's been it was nine years of my life so it, it seems that when you come to an agreement with Amazon, you determine the price that you are selling to Amazon for, and then in tiers, they give you different percentages of what you earn back. But if I'm selling to you at X dollar amount, and now you're selling it for more, will I see a small increase on that percent when that percentage hit comes in? Yes. But you are seeing much more of an increase on that percentage hit mm-hmm. when you're raising the price. So if say it's a two percent for the first three months and ten percent for the next three months, and you jumped from ten bucks to fifteen bucks, now it's again it's not a lot. But if I'm getting a hundred clicks a day on that, all of a sudden you're making way more money off of my product than I am. And overall, if when you jump it to fifteen, it plummets. All you did was make extra money, and now my overall sales have gone down because you already bought those units at the said fixed price that we agreed with when we first made the deal. So that's where it really starts to affect, like I said, the smaller people in the in the business. Mm-hmm. And even what you were saying too, it should even if um, the price goes up, that shouldn't be Amazon. That should be the consumer or the the, per- the retailer at least. who decides that. Like the if the mom and pop wants to do that for a little bit sure if they want to experiment with a new price tier go for it but i don't think that should be amazon's decision on the product that they're selling for somebody i think that should be up to the retailer to decide i get they why want. they have a major say in it because it is their site and ultimately they've already bought these units right but i feel like there should be some sort of maybe that'll come from this maybe it'll come in the future where you have a say in the uh in the contract hey if you decide to raise pricing based on activity we get uh, seven percent of the instead of the two percent for the first month and 15 percent instead of 10 percent for the first month because we have seen trends of xyz things going down uh when you raise the prices so can we hopefully that becomes a, a norm because i don't think there's too much control if you're selling unit prices up front there's not much you can say when it's now their property they have a percentage of it and they want to sell it as what they want so i think you're just gonna have to write that in the contracts in the future And it's a shame that the people who again we're referencing in these articles have gone through this but it could be a lesson for future small businesses when getting into a 
into the field with Amazon. And I think that's the big takeaway that this it's starting this discussion. So I think all these big retailers who have had this issue, they were caught doing it. And then there have been small fixes made on both sides to reprimand the issue and to make it more transparent with the consumer what's happening. So I think, I hope at least that this is the equivalent with Amazon, that this discussion has now started since people are reporting on it now. And that leads Amazon to kind of more intelligently and more uh, approach their sales better. That's all I wanted to get out of this too. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed that discussion. (laughs) I agree. Always. Every Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) As every as I can get. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But, um, I think that hails in the end of the of the first half. So, with that being said, uh, got an exciting second half coming up for you guys. Welcome back, everybody, to Industry 4.0. Kyle Fisher here, still with Ryan Thompson, Jeff Budzinski, and, of course, Matt Slavin, uh, our, our lead for the first half. Uh, we know that you guys love hearing us, but if you want to see us, if you want to experience everything there is that has to do with Industry 4.0, make sure you're checking out industry40.podbean.com. That's all spelled out. That's F-O-U-R-O-H dot podbean.com obviously i don't know how you're listening to us currently but that's one way to listen to us you can also listen to us on google play industry 4.0 itunes youtube also industry 4.0 we have a pretty active twitter account as of late so check us out at industry 4.0 all spelled out again and if you like facebook still which we do we love it facebook.com slash industry 4.0 if you are looking for us and you're unsure which one is us make sure you're checking out the white icon with the black and green gears industry with the number four and obviously those black and green gears. We are excited to have you guys, regardless of how you're listening. We love when you guys like, we love when you guys subscribe. We love when you guys reach out, please continue to do that. But all of that being said, we have an action packed second half to follow up on that action packed first half. Slave, what were you saying? I was saying, I got one more thing to add to that too, because um, this is, this is unconfirmed uh, as of me checking the site, but Irvin tells me that we are now on tune in also. Oh, get so, out of here. Tune in. So, yeah. So now you can add tune in to the list of things that we can now say that Check we are a part of. your so. boys out on tune in. <laughs> and that would be industry 4.0, not spelled out. The four Not spelled out. The four yeah. period and the zero. <laughs>
I just wanted to say, wanted to get that in there, but you, I was trying to not stop this train of emotions that you were taking me on with this. Oh, oh I'm, I'm feeling it. I appreciate all the love and all the info <laughs> that you can give me. Um, but that being said, let's get to one of our favorite people to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> Elon Musk. My man is at it again. Uh, for those of you who, who haven't already made fun of him, uh, the boring company uh, where he is obviously digging all these tunnels the and holes across the legend. The man, the myth, the legend himself, Elon Musk. Uh, he he is, he's come up with another huge statement, a big statement, a, a statement that a lot of us, I feel, in this local area, uh, hope come to hopes come to fruition. He's talking about building an underground hyperloop from New York to DC with multiple stops along the way that will total trek from New York to DC take twenty nine minutes. Insane, unheard of times, unheard of types of travel. Please. Slave, and if you can elaborate for us a little bit more on what Elon Musk is planning for us. Well, emphasis on verbal approval. So he was probably like, "Hey, do you think this would be a cool idea?" And the guy was like, "I mean, yeah, sure." And he was like, "Oh, sweet, we got the we got the go ahead. Let's start digging. Let's start digging <laughs> through the metro. Let's start digging through the metropolitan parking lot. We got this." And then he's like, "Okay." And a lot of people came out with this and were like, "What are you talking about? This isn't approved anywhere." Like the um, the New York Metropolitan Transit Authority was like, I am going to check on this for you. And the Southeastern SEPTA was like, we don't have anything on this. Homeland Security was like, we're trying to figure out which agency he got the approval from. So, And he's probably not, thinking like, nah, dog, I got it. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. And he was he was quick to kind of walk this back and say like, okay, we're, he's like, it's he's like, it's exciting. He's like, the traction's here and we're just trying to get the deals worked out now and get this actually going. But that being said, 29 minutes is insane like that's enough to viably live in new york and work in dc like that's yeah. that's my that's my that's a little bit less than that's actually shorter than my current commute to work so same that like that that, that enables anybody to work anywhere in the eastern corridor whether that's uh baltimore dc wilmington philadelphia uh, Trenton, possibly if they make stops in New Jersey, but typically these things are only ever have like highway well, exits. See, New York there City. You, you say anyone, but I want to know how many tracks he's building in parallel to each other and, and how affordable it will actually be mm -hmm. for the common commuter. Yeah. He explicitly left out New Jersey. So I'm, is he just going to use it to just cut, through, just yeah. cut through the state? Like, oh, smart, man. Yeah. like, <laughs> Jersey sorry, Jay Boats. <laughs> Thanks for the Trenton shout out, though. <laughs> yeah. I was like, is Jersey going to approve of this if they just cut through their state casually and just dig up thousands of miles of land or hundreds of miles of land to cut through New Jersey? But um, I don't know. I'm if it if it comes through, I'm excited. If you want to know about New Jersey, I'd throw a message in a bottle and just wait for Chris Christie to find it on the beach when no one else <laughs> he's the only guy there. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> but um, yeah, and also. I'm fairly certain that he doesn't even own the Hyperloop company yet either. I think he's still working with that company. Um, and this is, and the technology isn't even there to fully do this yet. So this Jeez. would probably be something measured in terms of like a decade or so. You know what though? A lot of things that Elon Musk thinks of comes to fruition within a few years. I mean, it's not, it's not far off to think that a guy who's this innovative and this influential could potentially do something as uh, as far out as as this current topic is i mean it's 
he has a proven track record. We know what he can do. We know what influence he has. And there's no reason to think that, of course, not in five years, but 10 years. Mm-hmm. And Thompson and I were talking about this uh, a little bit earlier in the week. And I'll, I actually want to throw to Thompson to go into detail on this a little bit. How important could something like this eventually be for the creative types who don't have regular access to the city of New York, which is so important for actors and screenplay and, and anybody who's in video and in and that whole film industry yourself included you went to school for film how much of a difference would it have been if you were a person who had access to within 29 minutes be in new york daily i mean that, that's a huge effect for the potential of the future of the creative types who don't have access to these these cities like la and new york and not even new york that's the whole northeast corridor too exactly yeah Right. I mean, I see the, these big international hubs like and he's also doing the West Coast from San Fran to L.A. And that's that's those are pretty big cities and, and they're just international hubs. It's like basically it's like you have different cities like Rome was back in the day. You have you have London, you have you have Moscow, you have all these different international cities where there's hubs. And that's where basically art, artisans thrive. You know, there's major artistic uh, mm-hmm. scenes and it's a lot easier for people to or people with an artistic prowess to find fields of work as opposed to being out maybe in the suburbs of lesser known cities. I mean, if you're in the Midwest, it's, it's pretty tough. Not that you can't make it, but I mean, and, and even saying that there'd probably be more competition if they open up the travel to have artists have an influx, you know, they can just come in every day and suddenly it's just like, Oh, we got tons of artists. Now we can hire anybody we want. Mm-hmm. Maybe that also leads to expansion of these businesses. Maybe you you see more companies come up who are willing to hire these people because of the fact that these resources are more readily available. I mean, I look at like someone like myself who's in a situation where I had a kid in high school. I consider myself a, a fringe creative type. Yeah, of course, I always wanted to be more of an on-air talent or being the person delivering the information rather than the person gathering and creating the information, which I'm not opposed to. I enjoy that as well, but... I couldn't move like some of my friends could because it would be hours away from my child. No one wants to do that. But if I could get to one of the biggest hubs in the entire world in a half hour, that's currently what I do, making the current wage that I do in a field that I didn't study in school for. I mean, it's it, it, it gets so many more people to the forefront of where these things happen. Like you said, these big hubs, mm-hmm. L.A., New York, and if we go into other countries, London and, and what have you, I mean – I, being a potential creative type, no longer have my individual choices affecting my ability to give my creativity to the world. And, and I think it's it's a – yeah, my individual choices led me to not being able to travel and, and move away from my current family. But if I can get there in a half hour, that's what I do anyway right now in a thing that I might not be passionate about. What kind of effect does that have on the future of multiple creative type industries when you're looking at a place like, only because it was mentioned directly in this article, New York, which is such a major hub for people like that. Well, look, I mean, when when they came out with 95 back in whatever year that was, it was the same kind of deal, right? They said you can get to New York City in 30 minutes from Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, it sounds great. Now you have traffic and other people trying to utilize the same hub i'm very curious and you guys might have insight that i don't on this he says 29 minutes what happens when there's congestion what happens when there's a lot of people waiting for the Mm -hmm. same service is this going to be 29 minutes or is that just a baseline well that would just be 29 minutes travel time at that point 
that that wouldn't take into account waiting in line or um, anything like that. But I'm also curious to know how many of these they can fit in one line because it's it's a it's essentially the same technology your post office uses to send you the tubes through the drive through. It's just a vacuum that sucks the tube up through it. So, so like, would they build tracks in parallel? I think I was talking about this earlier. Like, and 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 if they do that, how much would they charge? Because I mean, can a standard commuter use it? Probably not. Probably not for a while, unless they had multiple tracks yeah. running really, really quickly. That's but this is the also. this is the thing that the U.S. needs because we have the highway system, and that's our dominant form of transportation, as well as air travel. And both of them, you could argue, are fairly congested and not exactly preferable from getting from one area to another. They're not as efficient as they could be. And um, introducing this new form of public transportation kind of could potentially alleviate a lot of these things if it does get to the point where there's enough of them moving from city to city to where it could take cars off the road. So it could reduce traffic congestion and stuff like that. Yeah, and, I could see a lot of the local flights from all these all these airports from from Philly on down to DC. They're gonna their airports will start losing business because the major hubs are at New York City. You want to fly internationally, you want to go all over the place. You can take a hyperloop up there really fast and then get on the plane and fly to another country. Yeah, this could kill domestic travel, like domestic right. airlines. That I didn't even think of that. D- depending on on the pricing, I think initially, like you said, Thompson, the pricing could be a little high for the for the typical commuter. But I think as things become more affordable and more people start to use these right. functions because like you said when the highway was first introduced it was like oh look this is an alternative for, for people who can drive all day well as driving became more affordable for the typical person it, now that's when we start to see congestion when airfare became more affordable for everybody that's when we started to see congestion in there as well so at first i think you'll see a major impact and then it could be well can more people now afford to travel to these places and what kind of okay up front it will alleviate some of these travel some of these travel issues and some of this congestion but in the long term it may just turn into everything else where now more people have the ability to move from place to place will we see those people using it regularly is the question mm-hmm. right and you gotta look at above ground you know with all the major highways we have now it, it takes time for the government to cut into people's properties and buy them out and build new roads just to make space for the for what we have already if you can go underground and make it three-dimensional there's not really many zoning laws and stuff that the further underground you go, you can just build anything you want as far as you want. You can build as many as you want. So if you want to build like 10, 12, 20 in parallel to each other, just go on the same route, you could do that theoretically. Is that yeah, true? Do that. I don't know. I'm asking because I honestly God don't know. Is that true? Because I know sometimes when you buy property, you get everything above it right. as well as the airspace. Is that true for – does that not include everything below you as well? I don't I think so. it, it depends on the cleanliness of the construction and how many lobbyists you can buy. <laughs> Well, that, that has a lot to do with it, of course. I think unless you're like cutting through a mine, I think you have only up to the foundation under the ground. I think that's the, the general rule of thumb. But even so, he was saying um, when he was talking about these things that these things would start at like 50 to 100 feet underground. So they're fairly deep. And then even so, you could even go down 200, 300. You can go half a mile if you wanted to. You could go. You could take it however far down underground you want pending that his boring technology is like is fast and efficient enough to mm-hmm. dig those tunnels and also can it withstand enough pressure because mines have had you know they've collapsed in the past <laughs> mm-hmm. so i mean it's got to obviously it's got to be able to stand the pressure of a vacuum that's firing a train you know at a ridiculous speed that's right yeah <laughs> and not only distance. are you not only are you having increased pressure under the ground but also you're reducing the air pressure inside of the tunnel so that's going to be um interesting engineering and like a f- 
arguably a fascinating marvel of guys technology to just even implement let alone have every day this goes back quite a way if you aren't aware um back into the 1700s the concepts of having an iron tube underground transporting goods uh you know came into discussion uh the vac train which was uh an initial concept that was, was it da Vinci? no this was discussed in the 1960s but um ah. the the it's a theoretical train which could travel up to in concept 5,000 miles per hour um, oh and the idea was to go from New York to London which is another point I was going to get to is the transatlantic tunnel which is not far off if this is to take place I could see you know um, intercontinental travel happening this way it would mm-hmm. Every time you have a new mode of transportation, which becomes more convenient and faster, you have the world shrinking in its relative size to the individual. The internet's mm-hmm. done a lot with that. The car has done a lot with that. If you now have railways that can take you from here to London in a matter of hours, if that, that is when you will see a gigantic shift in culture. Right. And I think that's going to be, I think that's his end goal with this. He wants to connect the world and make it easier for people to get together and collaborate. And by connecting cities that are normally connected by hours of highway traffic and a rush hour and what have you, um, he's got this new technology that could shatter all of that and kind of redefine what it means to be inner city and I wonder what this is going to do. Like Ryan was saying, like he kind of hinted at it with um, with domestic flights. Like I wonder what it would do for even like towns that aren't immediately near a city. You know what I mean? Like towns that aren't near a hyperloop hub. Uh, if it's if it could do something similar to what happened when the rail stations went away for the highways, like those towns just kind of were just bled dry and just kind of died off. I'm curious to see because with this with a new mode of transportation always kind of comes this side effect. So you you could also see the potential for more small cities building smaller air, uh, air airports as a response. Like, hey, you know, the Hyperloop, the new preferred mode of transportation isn't coming to us. But guess what? Now you can fly into our city cheaper and avoid all of the highway traffic, airway traffic and Hyperloop traffic that you might face in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You can fly to Allentown and and save yourself an hour on your on your trip or whatever the situation may be. So you again, like you said, it could you could see the way of of the past where things die, but it also depends how cities react. So well, yeah. In regards to that, if you're looking at um, a transportation authority like SEPTA, for example, in southeastern Pennsylvania, if you have people from New York, for example, other places included. Coming to Philadelphia, for example, you're going to have a probably larger amount of public transportation being utilized as a result of those people from outside of the city now ditching their cars and taking another form of transportation. You're going to have shuttles, buses, subways, things like that being right. more densely populated. Keep in mind, this is the same man who's trying to push autonomous cars even faster than this Hyperloop's idea. Yeah, I'm trying to connect this all into one global <laughs> network. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Elon Musk, and it's always 
I like keeping up with the, his crazy tweets and everything. Yeah, right now it seems like a lot of speculation. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely a nice publicity stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he definitely got the feelers out, and there's a lot of support behind it, whether he's got it in the government or not. So Yeah, now he can go back to the U.S. Uh, to the Department of Defense in New York and Philly and be like, look at all these retweets, guys. Come on, everyone wants it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like writing to your senator these days, right? Yeah. Like, That's how this works, right? This is policy. Like... <laughs> So I think it's definitely going to be something that people keep a, a pulse on over the next few years to see if this actually makes any progress. And if I'm not mistaken, the article mentions that there are kind of loose plans already to start in L.A. So to see where that kind of goes and to use that as like a test bench to see how the rest of the country could work would also be nice. All of you Industry 4.0 fans out there, make sure you remember this episode when listening to episode 212 when we go into this further when it's a real possibility <laughs> and episode 615 where we host our first episode from a hyperloop exactly <laughs> Kyle, you are a test pilot man <laughs> no problem <laughs> bandwidth at 1500 miles an hour does it still work <laughs> oh, yet he still sounds the best at 1500 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> two times the speed of sound but that's all we need for the show. We didn't get paid for that. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> just getting ready for the big show. That's all. But um, <laughs> but uh, to kind of just, uh, if anybody had any final thoughts on this, we could move on to some of the other topics, which is just this. This was the birth of the Hyperloop, but there's a few. There's an end of life for a few additional products that people are familiar with. I know. Anybody I'm gonna, have any? I'm I'm passionate final? about the next topic. I'll tell you that. Are you? Okay. Um, if anyone has less comments on the Hyperloop, we have at it. <laughs> All right. Uh, in that case, um, the big news. I don't know if you wanted to lead off or not, but... No, go for it. All right. Microsoft Paint, after 32 years, is done. They're going to deprecate Microsoft Paint. Um, and before JBuds starts kind of having a panic attack and freaking out it's not actually end of life it's just being reduced to the windows app store thank goodness for free <laughs> so that being said <laughs> it's not going to be on future versions of windows you'll have to download it separately but i know it's very passionate and near and dear to your hearts i can hear the vitamin c playing in the background and jave bus's uh piano I want to sing it, but I don't know if I'm allowed to. <laughs> oh, you beat me to it. Okay. You know, this this is uh, an application that has been dear to my heart. It's 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 a partition, so to speak, in my soul. Ever since I was a small child, I remember messing around with drawing and using the fill and making my little designs. It was a beautiful thing, and then I, I I came to meet you guys. And I had never so intensely zoomed in on a photo to crop out someone's head to paste it transparently on another photo. <laughs> what I refer to as the glory of a slop shop. Slop trademark shop. that term now while it still can. Yeah, trademark. slop shop, TM, J-Buds. Listen, I, I understand, you know, this is outdated software. I, I completely understand the limitations of it, why it's not a must-have. I am very glad to hear it will be offered in an app store for the legacy users who can't get past their traditions. Um, 
granted, if I had the opportunity or ambition to move to another software, I probably would. I know I, I messed with GIMP for a while. There's a little that actually there's a little leads bit me into something I was going to say. I use I use GIMP a little bit. Yeah. I've done that for, for both personal and for uh, work use. So mm-hmm. just stuff that needs to get done. But um, something that you could now experiment with as of the creator's update for Windows 10 is the aptly named sequel to Paint paint 3d so now you can do three-dimensional slop shops (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) it's a new era it is come true the death of something you loved or the birth of something that you will soon love you know how to pick up up my spirit slavin carrying the torch into tomorrow i feel like the <laughs> listeners could feel my torment just be lifted <laughs> let's uh let's think for a second how, how big ms paint was though i mean yeah it's it was kind of like before its time i mean it was the photoshop before photoshop if you will like it was it kind of gave us a, a free reign on what we wanted to do with with different forms of uh, whether it be photos or what have you like i mean one of my favorite tweets that i saw on the the hashtag r.i.p ms paint uh, guy said <laughs> r.i.p ms paint you were a beacon of hope to us all when there was nothing else to do on the computer 15 years ago like that's just that's such <laughs> hey, an amazing hey. tweet 1985 it's, is when ms paint 1.0 was released and that's it, it's it was ahead of its time, even though it wasn't at the same time. Like yeah. think back to, to it certainly not was never ahead. We'll back put it to, that way. That's, that's, that's <laughs> but not that any of us can think back to 1985. But you think of the things that came out of that time, and you're like, oh wow, that's that's all we had. Yeah. And then like ten years later, you're still like, that's all we had. <laughs> but it still was, it still was like MS Paint really started the the creative juices of what became a an industry and an era of people who wanted to be creative on the computer it's yeah. it's it, it, it really was ahead of its time and also behind its time five years after it started so yeah and that was when marty mcfly went to the past <laughs> 1985 and the nes was released that year it's, it was a good year <laughs> coincidence i think not yeah maybe but, um, in the show notes actually i'd like to link to this article that I just looked up and I remember reading um, where it was a graphic novel well, graphic novel created by an illustrator entirely using MS Paint. Oh, man. It is, That's impressive. It's if you don't include it in the show notes, I at least want to see it myself. So. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, was, I was blown away. Oh, oh, man. I was looking up, um, while you guys were on that, I was looking up a a year in review of 1985. Just the stuff that comes out, like Coca Cola announced New Coke. Um, the New movie, Coke. New Coke. Yeah. Um, let's see. There was another good one. They found the location of the Titanic. Um, mm. The the movie The Color Purple was released. Um, Michael Jordan was named Rookie of the Year. Damn. Yeah. So who knew eighty five was such a good year? Microsoft Paint was born and brought into our lives, even so though the some of us weren't alive yet. Yeah. This is no what a memorable year. Bill Gates right? knew what he was doing, I'll tell you. He did. He was like, 
I'm going to revolutionize of mobile computing. All right, we need a YouTube episode <laughs> retrospective the year that, that was 1985. Yes. None of, us, none of us were alive for it. We Illustrated need to have a retrospective in pain. And then we have to end the video <laughs> playing that, like, SPCA dog rescue, like, in the arms of... Yeah, but we'll use vitamin C. <laughs> <laughs> And then vitamin C. I mean, that's his long playlist of just epitaphs. <laughs> oh man, Microsoft Paint hardly knew ye. Not not all heroes well, wear capes. I knew you, you can, very well, but you can, you can slop shop the capes onto the heroes. It's I did tough. not know thee very well, but I appreciated everything you brought to my life. <laughs> Apparently, the general consensus was that the Windows XP version of Paint was the best. So. Anybody who wants to set up a virtual machine of Windows XP, you can live in the glory days. I'll disagree with that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's okay <laughs> by me. Um, but and on to more deaths. Matt, go ahead. Another thing that has been the this will be the bane of all early internet gamers of web-based video games. Anybody who is familiar with the website Newgrounds will particularly <laughs> writhe in that. agony. <laughs> Adobe has announced that in 2020, Flash Player has going to, is going to reach the end of life. RIP and Newgrounds for sure. Unlike Paint, Flash Player will not be delegated to the depths of the Windows App Store. Flash Player will be gone forever. So before we get into depth on this, what can I expect from websites that yell at me for not downloading the newest Flash update? What can I now expect them to yell at me for? Now they'll just break. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like, remember the days we used to go to websites that allow Flash to work right now? And no. Yeah, and all this is being done to pave the way for HTML5 and stuff like that. Makes and, sense, of course, but um, I think I heard a stat somewhere that mentioned that as of three years ago, I think eighty percent, around eighty percent of all web traffic was going to a flash-based site, but that number now has been reduced down to just seventeen percent. Wow. So it's quickly on the way out the door because HTML five is both more lightweight, it's faster, it's less RAM intensive, it's easier on the browser, it's easier on loading times for web pages. So. It's I a needed it update. When recently Netflix stopped yelling to update my Flash player, they probably upgraded to HTML5. Yeah, they probably have. Other sites have continued to yell at me, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that. I want to. Yeah. I want to make it uh, between little, between us. I want to <laughs> make a serious, but a, a a joke. Let's put it that way. I want to make a joke. Mm. Um, okay. I'm all referring ears. to the article that I think we're all looking at. Um, Technology partners, including Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Mozilla, they're planning for an end of life of Flash. Uh, notice that Microsoft is mentioned, but um, I, I somehow have a feeling that Edge is still going to use Flash. <laughs> <laughs> they could. I wouldn't just, be surprised. If, just at least know, based on reputation. <laughs> yeah. Although um, that actually goes into what I was going to bring up about this, which was the agreement that a lot of these browsers have come to, which is inclusive of Edge, which I was shocked to hear. Um, This is going to be a slow rollout up until 2020. So you're going to see 
features start to be slowly stripped away from the user. So in 2018, um, Chrome and other web browsers um, are going to start having, um, they're going to revoke, you know how when you go on a website, you can hit allow right. for that website, and then that website will always be allowed to run Flash. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to strip it away to the point where they revoke that every time you leave the web page. So every time you go back to the website, you have to re-allow Flash every single time. Okay. And that's 2018. In 2019, they're going to update it so that way Flash itself is opt-in. So in order to get it, you have to install it in the browser in order to even get the permission pop-up, and then you have to allow it. And then in 2020, they're going to completely kill it and deprecate it. So is that going to migrate to being a pure extension? Just... Um, there, there, someone will probably make an extension who's ma- running some Adobe Flash website that's like ridiculously dependent <laughs> on Flash. Because I remember the the big spree of websites back then when Flash was first announced. They were like, look at all the co- the cool stuff we can do. Like there was intro sequences to websites and like explosions done in Flash and stuff as the website loaded. I remember that. And and like all these flashy things. But I'm sure there'll be an extension for Flash, but it's going to be officially unsupported in 2020. You guys remember addictinggames.com? Oh yes, I do. There was the yes. one game where you're the guy with like the guns. You can upgrade, shooting up at all the different mm-hmm. stuff. Running, it's like yes. a 2D view. I remember that one. Yeah. Or yes. the imaginary or the the one like it's the buddy game where you could like smack them around and like <laughs> drop like grenades and like dress them up as different people and stuff like that. One too. The one that had a peanut butter jelly Friend time of mine in created... it. Smack the donkey. I remember. Oh, I remember Smack the Donkey. Can you can ride that donkey, donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of mine created many um, uh, Flash-based games based on game shows that were better than the game shows website's version of said game shows, and he actually made some money <laughs> off of selling those. Sh- like uh, I believe it was the one that he made a, a good chunk of change off of was Deal or No Deal, and then he tried to do the same thing for Jeopardy. And then they said no and also stop making stuff based off our show or we will sue you. So he made like some random game where it was like under under the sea, but it was the exact same thing somehow. I mean, somehow got away with it, but props to him for getting away with making the exact yeah. same game as Jeopardy, just slightly different. There's this whole like there's this whole like generation of Flash developers who are now going to have to learn how to do HTML5 or go out with the last breath of flash. So I, I have a quick question and it's, it's this is going to sound like the, the person that I feel like I truly am when it comes to this podcast and the, uh, as the ignorant party, but what, what's going to be the major differences between people who are currently obsessed with flash development versus, or using flash development all the time versus upgrading to what would be HTML five or, or any other uh, current development, process when it comes to video like what is the the major impact or is it just oh all of our things that we loved in the past might change now um if they haven't already i'm pretty sure newgrounds has since moved to html5 based stuff but i don't know if you're going to see all of their older stuff um start to fail or need to be re redone almost um 
And then a lot of developers are going to have a very rude awakening when their Flash stuff no longer works by default on websites and it becomes a lot more of a pain for people to actually use their stuff. Uh, so they'll have to learn. But again, I feel like with this much notice, with you know, it not being like, hey, end of 2017 where Flash is gone, it's we have plenty of notice. I feel like we're not going to see a major impact, but correct me if I'm wrong. I might just be someone who's not as in tune as, as everyone else. Is it going to be that major of an impact? Or are these people who, who were ahead of the times by being Flash developers and understanding how Flash worked, are they just going to transition easily to HTML5? Or is it a huge difference that we're really not understanding and it's we're really not going to see the effect of right away? Oh, HTML5 is much simpler to implement in web pages. So I I don't think there's going to be too much more of an overhead to transition these people over. They're just going to have to apply their skills in a different way. Um, Like you're saying, the rollover is going to be very slow. So they have plenty of time to do it. And I think it's going to be, I don't think you're going to even really notice anything because you guys both use iPhones, Kyle and Jeff. Um, You guys can't even get flash on your iPhones. iPhones don't run flash. So. Um, you could argue that your, most of your user experience is going to be completely unaffected. Good. I, it was more just a, a check for myself and for the, the, again, we've always considered me to be the, the general fan of our podcast, uh, the, the, the non-tech head. Um, it, it was more just the general wondering, like, is this something we should be right. worried about with our internet access in the future? Is it just like, hey, things are great as usual. It just sucks for the people who are, who are super into the flash process. Think, it's been dying a slow death for yeah, years. I think, the, I think it's true. just a matter of time <laughs> moving to good. the new medium because everything Not you good. can do in flash is there for an HTML five. Um, and I, I do want to make a formal apology to, um, Mr. William Gates because edge, um, was developed with HTML five in mind. And I did not realize that. Um, so sorry, Bill. I know we go way back. But, um, <laughs> William is very upset with you. With that being answer, said, to, yeah, clarify your question, Kyle. I think HTML5 is um, just a matter of getting with the times for development. As an aside to what Jeff said, all Internet Explorer jokes are still fair game. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That will never die. Good. Like and, and that's how I read it. I just wanted to ensure. Yeah, no, it's good to break it down so that way it, it it kind of is like an easy to digest situation because when you tell people Flash is dead, a lot of people are like, oh, you mean that annoying bar that drops down and I have to allow or deny? Like, <laughs> What's it, like it doesn't it doesn't really I impact like, people. You mean that like guy yeah. who can run around the globe really fast? Like, yeah, I feel like so. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I feel like sometimes there is a there's a lot of doom and gloom depending on our topic. So I want to make sure that not only myself included, but uh, the general fan of our of our of our podcast and our channels uh, understands that it's not doom and gloom. It's just a uh, in memoriam of of what was once a great feature and is now some just, change like you said, is a, a good thing. Breed. Some change good is a good thing. Sweet Prince, hardly knew you. Uh, yeah, it's it's good to know, and it's it's good to let people know that stuff is dying, even though it's not necessarily a bad death. It's just how technology moves forward. Honestly, a Flash, lot of, I hardly knew you. <laughs> a lot of people might not even notice, but uh, yeah, like I said, anybody with an iPhone won't notice if yeah. they don't. Yeah. If they if they use a if they don't use a MacBook or a Windows computer, they, they won't even know. So, and like we've talked about, a lot of people get their news from Facebook, so. Facebook is all HTML5. Right. So. But that being said, I think that hails the end of the episode. 
I agree. So, yeah. So, um, as per the norm, does anybody have anything they would like to plug? I know you guys got some exciting stuff going on. Kyle, you're typically the first one to to speak out. You want to do any of your plugs? I mean, of course I do. Come on, it's <laughs> who doesn't love? I got to give you the floor myself. Come on, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I am going to lead the same way I do every week. If you are a ultra, super, over the top nerd like myself into everything that that anyone could potentially be nerdy about. Uh, especially professional wrestling included, please check out my other podcast. It is On Air with Keenan and Kyle. We are available on iTunes. If you search On Air with Keenan and Kyle, it is a red symbol with the words On Air with Keenan and Kyle. Myself going like, eh, with a big thumbs up and a big smile with the beard. Uh, not as big as it is currently, if you've seen our YouTube channel. But uh, you can see myself and uh, and my man Keenan. He has arms in the hips looking very serious because he is a professional wrestling referee, which is the thing that I think we bring unique to the table. So please, if you like to get unique perspectives on the things that you love, including professional wrestling, check us out on iTunes and on Potomatic.com. If you go to on air with Keenan slash Potomatic.com, uh, you will find our page there. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Facebook is at on air with Keenan and Kyle, or you can just search on air Keenan, uh, well, Keenan, on air with Keenan and Kyle, uh, find the same logo. And our Twitter is at on air Keenan Kyle because they don't allow more characters than what I put. It was, it literally said zero with a big, uh, in bold and red. Like, do not add any more characters, please. So it was at on air Keenan Kyle for the Twitter. I like to uh, tweet the entire time during pay per views, especially. Uh, and then I like to like everyone else's tweets. So please reach out to us. Let us know how you're doing, as well as this podcast, Industry 4 L. And listen, just a segue there. Uh, never been a wrestling guy. After listening to Keenan and Kyle, I'm tempted. I think I'm going to attend with Kyle in the near future. So um, definitely give it a shot for him. Uh, Thanks, man. Yeah, oh, man. Absolutely. Are you guys going to be covering the, I know it's not exactly pure wrestling, but the, the big boxing match that is coming up? Are you I will be, be tweeting from both my personal account and the on-air with Keenan uh, and Kyle account. Uh, on the McGregor Mayweather fight. I know it's not professional wrestling, but it is a major spectacle like professional wrestling is. So my plan is to continue to cover that uh, a- as much as I can. So that's okay. awesome. I'm definitely going to be looking out for that. Um, mm-hmm. And then kind of segue into my own thing. Um, if you enjoy any beats you hear here or want to see something new, something random coming from my mind, um, check me out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash fre, which is F-R-E-H, Beats by J-Buds. Um, always a work in progress. Always appreciate any feedback you have for me. So, And my man has, cur- has re- very recently upgraded his entire, his entire setup, so please check him out. Like it's, He went to me for feedback early on in us knowing each other, and it is beyond what I could have expected. It's quality work. And you've already heard it on the podcast, and, and, and it gets even better than that when you go into solo acts. So you guys don't even have to plug yourselves. You guys, <laughs> you guys got this. Next week. No, we're not going to say anything about each other. We're going to plug uh, someone else in the podcast. I like it. And last but not least, uh, Ryan. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I guess I'll just plug my Instagram page. It's WayneRyan21. I have a bunch of... Uh, I'm an am- amateur photographer. I'm trying to get up to like the next level. So I have a lot of new work up on there. And if you'd like to find the full resolution images, I also have them all on Flickr.com uh, slash photo slash Wayne R. Thompson. 
you'd like to find all the full res images. Guys, let me tell you, I got these set as my background images, all of my track images on my SoundCloud. I'm sharing them on Facebook. The guy has a talent. Check him out. I am waiting for my friends who started a production company to have another opening to hire this man. So if you're vaguely interested, talk to him now because he's going to be off the free agent market come January or February. I'm not joking. I completely agree. I'm outrageously impressed by this guy every time I look at his images and uh, and every time I talk to him about this this field. I, I know that I do a podcast with him, but that does not go into into what he does away from this podcast. So please check it out. Thanks, man. Man, I should start doing stuff so you guys can talk about me. <laughs> and and, and Slavin well, is Slavin, so. Yeah. Well, he's Ad, working on Ad, Android apps. Android apps to come. Android apps yeah. to come. Yeah, that it's only a matter of days before I buy myself a Google developer account. And he has he has a red beard, so that's you should just check him out in general. And red hair to match. And no, I did. Some would say red eyebrows as well. You know. If you if you want to check out YouTube and see his face, you'll know why you should be interested. Not everybody calls him a god of fire, but I do. So I mean I mean we've that's all been the, there. So. I mean that's the first and best time. <laughs> That, that's never been referenced, so I'm happy. <laughs> it won't be the last. I know that now. Right, I think we gotta I think we gotta cut it here before the we plugs get to have been in. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's gonna start getting weird in a couple minutes. That'll be that'll be the after hours episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If you want to check out more industry four oh after hours. <laughs> oh wow. uh, all right. Well, uh, with that being said, I think that's an episode. That is episode 12 in the bag. 